So the strategy from Microsoft is to enable the customers to connect IoT devices in a simple but secure way to this Azure cloud and provide them the tools in the, on the cloud side, like artificial intelligence, machine learning, everything, to help solve or optimize the customer's individual problems. Welcome to We Talk IoT, a regular series of podcasts from the editors of Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine. This podcast is brought to you by Avnet Silica in cooperation with Microsoft. Hi, I'm Tim Cole, the editor-in-chief of Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine. IoT should be simple. At least that's what Martin Grossen says. At Avnet, Martin is often referred to as Mr. Microsoft, since it's his job to forge links between his own company and the Seattle-based giant that in recent years has been busy developing its own IoT platform called Azure, Internet of Things, or Azure IoT. Martin, how does Microsoft hope to make IoT more broadly available and consumable by enterprise customers? Yes, hello, Tim. To answer your question, we need to have a closer look first about the amount of data from the Internet of Things. The amount of data available in the normal Internet today is an estimated number, roughly about 20 zettabytes. These are 20 billion terabytes, so quite a number. When you have a look now into the IoT world, let's take an example of an airplane jet engine Every single modern chat engine is generating around 20 terabytes of data per hour. So with two engines per plane, 200,000 planes worldwide per day, okay, that was pre-COVID, uh, but okay, with average of four hours per flight, 365 days in a year, you will end up with around 12 zettabytes of data, only from chat engines. And that's one plane. That's what, no, that's all the planes worldwide. Ah, okay. But that's more than half of the number from the whole internet data, only from jet engines. This is only a theoretical calculation, of course. So not every airplane is equipped today with a modern engine. But it's showing the future data generation in this context. Now let's add the billions of other IoT devices, elevators, sensor of smart cities, industrial automation, smart buildings, down to your connected coffee machine at your smart home. So now you can think about the amount of data we are creating uh, with this IoT network. What to do with all this data? There is a great value in this data, but only when you work with this data, when you analyze them, make predictions, and use them to optimize uh, and to make your application more valuable or effective. So to work and calculate with such a sheer amount of data, you need the power of the cloud data centers like Microsoft Azure. There is no way around. So the strategy from Microsoft is to enable the customers to connect IoT devices in a simple but secure way to this Azure cloud and provide them the tools in the, on the cloud side, like artificial intelligence, machine learning, everything, to help solve or optimize the customer's individual problems. That sounds kind of like plug-and-play IoT. Is that Azure? Well, the short answer is yes, it is. But, Tim, it's not that easy. 
we do not talk only about how to connect IoT devices to the cloud, but also how to deploy, provision, maintain the devices in field. Here, the Microsoft Azure cloud services like IoT Hub, with the capability of digital twins, device twins, and the corresponding device provisioning service comes to play. Uh, and yes, Microsoft uh, introduced uh, his Azure IoT plug-and-play standard. So you hit uh, hit on the spot with the plug-and-play naming. It's really uh, called Azure IoT plug-and-play standard. To introduce uh, to introduce this Azure plug-and-play standard was an important step because there is an extreme broad range of IoT devices available today. From a simple connected button battery-driven sensor up to high-end machines uh, with a PC-based gateway, you find everything in the market. So Microsoft Azure provides a very simple and effective way to connect them all. Companies can focus then on the data and their value in the cloud and not with all these uh, details around how to connect and what to do. So the simple way... It also means they can con concentrate on the business proposition. Exactly, exactly. That's the, the idea behind to make the, the, the threshold barrier to enter the cloud as low as, as possible for the customers. That's Azure. Your company, Avnet, is also a sponsor of this podcast, and they work very closely with Microsoft in developing Azure solutions. Could you describe what you're doing together? Sure. Even with this easy way to connect IoT devices to the cloud, a company needs to know how to set up the cloud services and need to know about the implementation of security, security protocols, how to handle cryptographic keys and certificates and all this stuff. Um, as an example, for the battery-driven sensor with the LoRa WAN connectivity, you cannot use a RSA-based cryptographic as a technology. This technology draws too much power from the battery. So for such a solution, we have to use a ECC, ecliptic curve cryptographic technology that fits better. So there's a lot of dedicated know-how that is necessary to implement the full-blown IoT end-to-end -end cloud solution. So it sounds easy, yeah, let's connect to, to the cloud, but the, the, the problems are starting in details. And here, Avnet can help with a really cool solution called IoT Connect. The IoT Connect is a highly scalable solution based on this Microsoft Azure to address uh, all the common industry needs and challenges. And especially this scalability is very important, as every cloud solution from every customer is unique. There is no one solution fits all. I hear that every at every fair, oh yeah, we have one solution that fits all. This is not possible. So this is why this IoT Connect platform can modularly cover the connectivity, security, deployment, provisioning, up to the data visualization in cloud dashboards and adaptation of further business data analytics and so forth. So a very good choice if a company wants to focus on their products and not on cloud development. That sounds a very far way from your core business, which used to be selling electronic components and sensors and stuff. That's very true. In fact, uh, I'm from Avnet Silica, and uh, Avnet Silica is the component distributor side of the business. And we have one exception in our line card, and this is Microsoft. But here, it, this is a perfect fit because when we talk about IoT, we always talk about hardware, sensors, microcontrollers, and these needs to fit 
the needs, also the security standards to drive the security protocols, as I said, to the cloud. So when, when we can start at, in this design phase early as possible, together with this Microsoft Azure solution, as better is the solution at the end. So this is why it's very important to, to have such a partner here uh, included. Yeah, companies in their IT departments, of course, worry a lot about making IoT communications more secure. Uh, as I understand it, Microsoft has created something called Azure Sphere to address those concerns. How does it work? Yes, uh, Microsoft identified the security of IoT devices as an absolute important key already many years ago. So the IoT connectivity is using the normal internet infrastructure to submit data, but also to receive the commands. And on the normal internet, not only your customers and the good guys are online, so we have a lot of hackers and they try to install botnet and botnet and everything uh, and to try to run DDoS attacks and all this kind of stuff. So Microsoft has a lot of experience with cybersecurity and they are fighting this fight for many years on the Windows side as well as on the Xbox gaming side. On the Xbox side, this scenario is very close to an IoT one. Microcontrollers, microprocessor systems connected to the internet. For Xbox 360, Microsoft introduced uh, even their own chip with built-in security. But guess what? It was hacked. And with this hack, it was possible to copy the games. So a multi-million dollar loss for Microsoft. So then they researched and defined the seven properties of highly secured devices. You can find this document public on the internet. It's very interesting to read, and I use this document as a security checklist for general IoT designs. So the seven properties of highly secure devices. Now, Microsoft implemented this know-how and all the seven properties in the current Xbox One, and the Xbox One was not hacked so far in the past seven years since the product launch. And Microsoft is using exactly this experience in these seven properties to secure IoT devices. With that, they introduced a Wi-Fi-enabled, ARM-based IoT microcontroller. It's really a microcontroller, not a, a CPU, it's a controller, with a built-in operating system, cloud connectivity, and security services. So a full package around it. Special here, the operating system is Linux. So they introduced a Linux system, first commercially sold system from Microsoft for, based on Linux. Interesting. And I will give you a very short insight into the technology. Every system can be hacked. It's a question about time and resources. So you need to have dynamic compartments in your system and need to detect and react when one of these security onion rings is breached or hacked. The reaction needs to be renew the security, restore the compartment. That's what we call renewable security. And this is also exactly what Microsoft is providing with this technology together with the microcontroller chip. Not every customer with an IoT design today has a known cybersecurity task force in their backyard. So you need a lot of resources to, to drive that. And only the cloud provider itself, in this case Microsoft, can provide such a complete implementation from hardware up to the cloud. Why should every customer build up this know-how? Company like Starbucks are using this technology to securely connect their IoT devices. 
So, for example, the coffee machines in their stores. I personally see this Asiosphere technology as a game changer and the future for IoT device security. Yeah, well, it makes IoT sound almost like a game, don't you? What does this mean in terms of bottom line? Uh, What can CEOs and and COOs expect in terms of total cost of ownership? Will that change? Hmm, That's a really good question. A normal IoT TCO calculation, so total cost of ownership, you do not see only the microcontroller chip in there, but the costs for developing the operating system, the renewable security, the cloud connectivity, the over-the-air update of the application, and, and, and. So also a lot of development stuff. The overall development costs and the costs to maintain security over time are normally a major point in this TCL calculation. And they need to be calculated over the whole lifespan of the device. So you need to keep the the security up and running the whole time. With Azure Sphere, you get rid of all of this. And you get for a fixed price, including the chip, and you get the services, you get the over the air, you get everything, and you have a fixed price uh, that's around eight US dollar at the moment for the chip plus services, renewable security for 13 years. So, So, well, when you have millions of devices then maybe it makes sense to to have an own design with an own security design behind. But when it's below 10 million devices, it definitely makes sense to have a look into this technology. What are some other areas where Microsoft and Avnet are cooperating? And where do you want to be in a year's time, say? Ooh, tough question. <laughs> because uh, predicting the future at the moment is, is very, very hard. But on the Azure side, I think uh, I can give a good, good answer here. Because to drive the Microsoft Azure solution, especially in the IoT segment, this is one of the top priorities I see on the Microsoft as well as on the Avnet side. Uh, In the coming year, we will see the next full-blown Windows 10 version running on industrial ARM controllers like the MXPI.MX8 and supporting Linux containers. This was unveiled during the last build conference two weeks ago. So this way, this IoT Edge dream come true and to pre-process machine learning on the IoT Edge device itself. That's very interesting for machine vision and other artificial intelligence systems. The complex model calculations for a vision system can be done in the cloud uh, with the sheer cloud power of a a cloud server. And then... uh, over this IoT hub service, you can synchronize these pre-calculated containers to the IoT device. As an example, a low-cost and low-power smart network camera system with the possibility to detect predefined objects. You can easily detect number of people, distance between people, also very interesting today, People wearing a hard hat, different tools lying around, chairs, and even empty chairs in the room as well. So even empty plates, glasses, or bottles in a restaurant or pub. So that's the next level of active selling, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> that great. Sounds, yeah. sounds maybe funny, but in the background, uh, a lot of new technologies needs to play together. And that is exactly why Microsoft and Avnet are working so close together putting all the right cloud, security, and IoT puzzle pieces together to be able to provide a simple-to-use but powerful and secure IoT solutions for the customers. 
Well, Martin, as you said, making predictions is difficult, especially when they're about the future. Uh, but one thing I think we can agree, it will be exciting. Thank you very much for joining us and sharing your insights with our listeners. Tim, it was a pleasure to be in this podcast. Thank you very much. We Talk IoT, the smart industry podcast, is sponsored by Microsoft. Microsoft Azure IoT Hub, highly secure and reliable communication between your IoT application and the devices it manages. Azure IoT Hub provides a cloud-hosted solution backend to virtually connect any device. Extend your solution from the cloud to the edge with per-device authentication, built-in device management, and scaled provisioning. If you need an industrial IoT solution based on Microsoft IoT Hub, then Avnet IoT Connect is your perfect choice. A standardized way to harness IoT so your business can quickly build smart apps and solutions based on the Azure platform. Wearable computers, or just wearables for short, are all the rage, from smart wristwatches to running shoes to jackets and shorts with embedded sensors that monitor everything from your heart rate, running distance to calories burned. And you can even use them to pay for a hot latte after your workout. But wearables also mean business by improving productivity, clocking you in and out of the office, and improving job site safety. Here with me today is Greg Langley, an experienced journalist from Australia who is currently based near Munich. He recently wrote an article for us about wearable computers. So tell me, Greg, are wearables more than just a fashion, Philip? Well, I think partially that remains to be seen, but uh, the indications within the market certainly uh, is that they are more... Part of the issue was that around about 2010, it appeared that uh, young people just didn't wear watches anymore, and lots of companies were looking, uh, watch manufacturing companies were looking ways to um, uh, stay relevant. So they teamed up with IT companies and with sporting companies um, to come up with different concepts. Um, so that's where you had the development of, uh, say, sports watches and so on. Um, They've come and gone as a couple of different trends, um, but I think over the last 10 to 15 years, it's shown that there's going to be some sort of wearables and the industry is developing in quite exciting ways. The fitness wristbands and heart rate straps of a couple of years ago seem to have been a kind of a passing fade. Many of them wound up in people's closet drawers. Why is that? Yeah, I think, I think initially a lot of the manufacturers um, misunderstood human behavior. Um, so it was seen as a sort of new promised land, this wearable. So you had companies like Adidas, Nike, and Under Armour piling into the market, as well as IT companies like Microsoft and Intel. Uh, and they worked very, very hard on getting wearables to go together. Um, and while sort of serious athletes in particular were seen, it was uh, one of the big markets, they sort of love these type of products. But for the general public, um, Tim, I don't know, are, are you a sportsman and you're a runner or anything? Yes, I used to run marathons. Oh, well, full credit to you, then you know what I'm talking about. This technology can be a little bit uh, tricky, particularly in the early stages. You had the heart rate monitor, you had the, the watch, uh, you had to make sure the two were paired, you had to then download the data, data using a cable, uh, go to a website. 
it just for the average person it was just too too complicated i think um and that's why that's why they sort of languished a little bit yeah well i may be a case in point because i had a, a, a fitbit as they were called back then and it eventually wound up in my uh, bedroom drawer and i uh, now use the uh, smart app on my iphone runtastic uh, i have my iphone with me anyway because i have to be able to telephone if i for some reason had an accident during the run or something uh, so i have it with me anyway and so i have a couple of uh, bose wireless headsets and i'm fixed i don't need any other hearable so yeah, that's that's the way the industry has gone. Uh, around about 2014, 2015, you had a lot of those companies that went in into the initial rush, um, dropping it out, um, and then about a year or two later, you had a number of companies that were developing, getting rid of all the cables that we had in the past and coming up with Bluetooth connected uh, wireless technology, earbuds uh, that just sat into your ear and provided the music with you. Uh, and had all those smart functions that the watch and the heart monitors used to do, like counting your steps and uh, your heart rate and so on. Uh, and this is what hearables are, um, uh, their functionality. Are there business applications for hearables that you can think of? Well, I think I think you um, outlined a number of them at the beginning of your conversation. So depending on the product that you're buying, if it's connected with... Um, a card and so on you can indeed uh pay <laughs> you can pay for your latte with sort of your watch um and those types of things also as you outlined there are people uh experimenting with different things safety on building sites just to monitor where people are moving uh if they're in danger to make sure that uh for example on a steel steel sites that nobody's within the uh, blast range of the furnace um, and those types of things. But generally, I think most of the market is tar- targeted at the general public uh, at the moment and their users. Uh, where it may develop in the future is there's a possibility um, that uh, it could help uh, people with he- hearing hearing impairments. Um, that market is still developing. Um, it's in the very early stages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I remember reading somewhere that uh, especially young people are increasingly suffering from at least moderate hearing loss. There was uh, uh, talk once of the the uh, disco bump because young kids were listening to very very loud music in discos or in their car stereos or in their headphones, and so hearing loss, moderate hearing loss, seems to be a very prevalent in younger folks today. Of course, they don't want to wear a hearing aid, do they? No, I think um, hearing aids are very uncool, Tim. Um, the US, I think it was 2017, produced, uh, um, introduced an over-the-counter um, legislation so that, um, that, that it enables the Food and Drug Administration to create a class of uh, OTC hearing aids for people with mild to moderate hearing loss. Um, it's, it hasn't been a major mover yet. There was a company that came out, uh, I, I'm not sure if you remember that, Doppler Labs. They came out just two years ago. They had this really, really cool earphones and they managed to raise about $50 million, um, for these smart earplugs. Um, unfortunately, the company went belly up because it's still an incredibly tricky technical area to develop something like that. So I think I think in the future you may see emerging between um, the hearing aid industry and the wearable industry. That's what uh, seems to be two of the trends coming together. 
but there's not major, any major developments that I'm aware of as yet. Reports indicate that the next generation of hearables will boast artificial intelligence. What's the big idea behind that? Well, I mean, reports are sort of misleading in the sense that we've had artificial intelligence in part um, in hearable since about 2015. So when the Dash, really the first first headsets came out, they had artificial intelligence. But more and more, this uh, technology has been involved in that. There was a headline, I think, just two or three days ago in the Washington Post that said, uh, for example, uh, and Fitbit does continue to exist, that devices like Fitbit and so on can analyze the fact that you may have uh, corona, the coronavirus uh, two or three days before you actually show symptoms. So th this sort of artificial intelligence is obviously most beneficial in terms of health monitoring, as well as providing data on health and exercise. It can, you know, with that smart technology, can also suggest improvements on your performance or your habits. So as I said, mostly health, um, but it can also, I think one important area would be, say, helping the visually impaired navigate a city. Um, if you have one of these things in your ears, um, it, can, it can assist you to navigate quite a difficult landscape if you can't actually visually see it. Yeah. Well, when you talk about monitoring people via hearables, uh, I hear Big Brother. Don't Aren't people going to be worried? that they're under surveillance from their earphones? That's um, it's an interesting question, but it's a, very, it's a, it's a separate topic, um, I think, because the question is always how much data that you as an individual are willing to give away. We're probably not quite aware of how much data that we distribute in our daily lives through our inter internet usage, through the use of, uh, of cards uh, to, pay, to make payments. This was just, an, it's just another slice of us giving away data on ourselves and it's always a trade-off. Um, are you happy with the services that you get in return or not? And if you don't, then don't use the technology. I use gear when I go running because it gives me the heart rate monitor, it gives me the distance. Uh, it also tells me uh, when I'm on my, on my racing bike where I'm actually going. And yes, I'm aware that that data is going to company, companies and they build up a profile. Does it worry me as an individual? No, but certainly it could have sinister implications uh, in, other, in other sort of aspects. We shall see. It looks like the future is, will be interesting. Will the ear be the next wrist? Thanks, uh, Greg Langley, for joining us to talk about hearables and sharing your insights with our listeners. Thanks, Tim. I mean, obviously, a lot of what we discussed is uh, future music, if I would say it that way. Uh, but there's many, many uh, very smart people working on the applications. And I think I think hearables be with us to stay. I don't think they'll be as short term as uh, a lot of these wrist devices were. Yes. Thank you very much. And... See you soon. And now, one more thing. As manufacturing companies ramp up production, maintaining proper social distance in times of COVID-19 remains a challenge. In Padua, Italy, Engineering Ingegneria Informatica, or Engineering Group for short, has developed a device called Smart Proximity, based on a sensor that can be implanted in a bracelet or other mechanisms and which detects similar sensors in its vicinity. If two devices come too close, they alert users and a central system via Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, where the data is analyzed. Should an employee test positive for COVID-19, a list of all staff members who crossed paths with the sensor's wearer is generated automatically and alerts go out warning employees to self-quarantine. 
Zivile Badarete, Marketing Specialist at Engineering Group USA, told Smart Industry, Our aim is to deliver the solutions that manufacturers require to quickly restart operations in the midst of the current health crisis and protect their employees at the same time. That was We Talk IoT, the Smart Industry Podcast. You can read all the latest from Smart Industry, the IoT Business Magazine, by visiting our website at www.smart-industry.net, where you'll find hundreds of feature articles about everything from smart manufacturing and cognitive computing to autonomous driving and how IoT and AI are making business smarter. There, you can sign up to receive our newsletter, Smart Industry Updates. I'm Tim Cole. See you back next month when, once again, we talk IoT.